This episode of True Sex and Wild Love is sponsored by Sweet Vibrations. Sweet Vibrations, exactly what it sounds like. Beautiful, waterproof, pretty, brightly colored sex toys for a very good time. Like I said, waterproof, rechargeable. They come with a discreet travel case. You get the USB charging cable and wall plug. There is a lifetime warranty. They're all less than $50. How can you say no? I don't know. I mean, it's actually crazy that they're less than $50. Let me tell you that. But this I absolutely love them. Lattes. It really is. And w- my favorite one, just in case anyone's wondering, my favorite one is the tulips because I've never seen anything like this. And let me I, it's such a sweet, sweet, sweet time. Visit sweetvibes.toys and use our promo code at checkout, which is wild, wild love. love. And you get 15% off. You're welcome. So this podcast is a challenging but very special one at the same time. But this podcast you listen to now was recorded a few months ago in New York City. And as some of you may know, some things in my relationship with Aubrey have changed and transitioned. It's been a challenging but pretty amazing opportunity for both of us. So um, stay tuned at the end of the podcast and you can find out where we are now and kind of what we have been learning through this entire process. Hi, guys. Hi. Here, here we are. Here we are. I'm sitting here with Aubrey Marcus Ooh. and Whitney Miller. And I feel like a lot of pressure because really the thing that makes the most sense here, isn't it, is that I we're all dating. Interview you both, and we're all dating. Whoa, it, that's the, how rumors start. Actually, this wouldn't even be starting. It's already be existing. For me to audition you both right now. No. <laughs> um, Ryan, get off the couch. Here we go. I got some work to do. So, I was about to say thanks for having me on because now it's my turn. I to just say went back. Thanks for having me on. I'm so excited that you're here. You're welcome. I am too. I'm really glad you're here. We've finally, we've officially done it. We've launched the podcast, as you can see. And you helped us with that. Yeah. Well, it was, I mean, listening to you guys go, it was destined to be. So I just kind of got maybe a few pieces out of the way, but this had to happen. Then you just stood back. Stood back. Let you guys. And took videos of us walking down the street in our cute, Matching shoes. I know. You guys are a dynamic duo. It's good. I mean, from the from the sneakers up. Uh-huh. We're, I mean, you got gold pants. I have the same pants. got all gold everything. You know? Amazing. It had it's to really happen. Out well. um, we were just talking about service sex, which I think would be great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> great to mention. We should talk about what service sex is, first of all. Yes. Tell us. Go ahead. Dr. Wednesday Martin. Well, okay. I will say what sex researchers refer to as service sex is when somebody's having sex instead of for their own pleasure, they're doing it to please their partner, which can be a fine thing once in a while if something's going on. And- yes. <laughs> so, so let's transition. Whitney, what's going on? Uh, 
No, we're not going there. Jeez. Yeah, we got to. This is a radically open, vulnerable podcast. We got to talk about why we've been placed in I've the service. I've been very sex bloated. And you don't bloated? feel like why? having sex. You don't why? feel like having sex. I'm letting her off the hook. Yeah. <laughs> she doesn't physically feel good having sex right now. My tummy hurts. You know why? Because she's got an adamantium blockage of poop in her colon. Oh, my that God. will not be penetrated. Everybody by- poops. Okay. <laughs> Except for you the last few days. Yes, I know. I've been constipated. Okay. Now it it's happens. Out. Now it's out it happens. in the open. It's, it's, it's been hurting my belly. And as anybody who's listening knows, when you have a stomach ache, you don't want to have sex. You don't want to have intercourse probably, right? No. And maybe you don't want to do other things either. But so this is what I was saying is that if you can't have sex and you still want to please your partner, there's other things that you can do like blowjobs. And it doesn't have to be service sex, right? Service sex is like when it's a habit and all you're ever doing is having sex to please your partner and you've completely lost sight of your own pleasure. But that's not what this is about. I said this is what the British would call a maintenance experience. It's just a, a nice thing to do for your partner. It's, it's like a, a back nice rub. Thing to do you for know, your like partner, you know, right. your fingers don't get pleasure from a back rub. But right. your partner gets pleasure from a back rub. And so you do too so a little got, bit. Yeah. I mean, sometimes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And you enjoy the act of giving pleasure. I enjoy giving Whitney a back rub. And I think she enjoys giving me a blowjob. I mm-hmm. think, I hope. I do. <laughs> Good. Yeah. I mean, you're in a long-term relationship. How many years is it Seven. now? Seven. So you don't always feel like having mind-blowing sex with your partner, even when there's not something going on physically. But sometimes you just do it to do it for that person. Yeah. I mean, we'll ask each other sometimes. We'll be like, what do you think? Is this tonight a blowjob night? Like, do you want some? Or is, or is tonight like a sexy night? And like, yeah, we'll be like, eh, we're both kind of tired. <laughs> or like a blowjob <laughs> <We're> night. <sleepy. laughs> we're both kind of tired because yeah. there's a lot going and on. And then I'll double check. I'll be like, you sure? You know, you want one? And she's like, nah, nah, I'm good. Or someone was like, yeah, yeah, okay, come on. We'll go. So. But that's like communication with your partner, knowing you don't have to, like you said, always have you know, what is it? Bed post shaking, nail digging, mind blowing sex. Totally mm. spontaneous or like simultaneous orgasm. Right. Yeah. That's not the way it goes every time. No. Especially with if you're with somebody for a while. Yeah. Sometimes you're just like, eh, eh, I'm kind of tired. I think yeah. the I think the beauty of the relationship structure that we've cultivated though is that we still at least get to have the former, even if we're also communicating and choosing the latter. Like you can look back at the span of this past week because the start of the week didn't start constipated and I was going. To- <laughs> oh my God. And so we had <laughs> sex. We going <laughs> when Whitney was pooping normally, <laughs> we, had, we, had that, we had that type of sex. You know, we had that type of the sex that you would want to have with the partner you're most excited about with, a new relationship. That, those kind of feelings are still there. And, right. the, and so we can still access that and have the other type of more like comfortable hey what are you what are you feeling kind of communication and i think that's the possibility you know not that there isn't a ton of challenges with being open and being poly but that is one of the possibilities that i think we've discovered this opens up is it opens up an avenue for genuine passion plus that seven-year level of deep communication and comfort you know, yeah. so you get to actually have a little bit of the best of both mm-hmm. worlds. Okay, so people who know you guys already know about your relationship and know you both, but there might be some people coming to this just completely 
new to it, completely fresh. Mm-hmm. Now they know a thing, a thing or two about you. Great. Some Thanks. really intimate information. But <laughs> let's okay. talk about your relationship a little bit. You guys have been really out there about it. And um, I think in that way, you've inspired a lot of people and challenged a lot of people. Tell people who don't know yet what you guys have been up to. Well, we've been together for seven years. Two of those monogamous, we were split for three months and then uh, got back together under a quote unquote open relationship container, aka we had no idea what the fuck we were doing. <laughs> new, new, new. <laughs> yeah. We say that like every week though too. <laughs> every you know, week. it's like, oh, remember us last week? Oh, silly kids. We didn't know what the fuck we were doing. <laughs> we no we We've been saying that for five years. Actually, there's a couple like there's a couple little stretches in there where I think we thought we had it figured out. Things were like really calm and quiet and like chilled and we're like we got this thing nailed. And then something else God comes dude. around the corner. <laughs> it's like we're idiots. Yeah. The Mack truck driving yeah. straight into your Yeah. But I think we've gotten to the point to where now it's just like, yes, we are in an open poly relationship, um, but we're figuring it out and and building, making up our own rules and agreements and boundaries. Like it's hard for me to want to put a specific label on what our relationship is um, because I feel like that in its own way puts it into a specific box and we may or may not be that, you know, like create. You might not feel it. Yeah. When you first started, when you first decided to do it, did you even, was there a language for it? Where did you, how did you come up with the concept? Well, I think for me, I read Sex at Dawn and that was a really kind of eye-opening moment because I understood those tendencies towards boredom and that desire for novelty. And, you know, I kind of muscled through uh, a beautiful relationship with Caitlin, who a lot of people know who follow me. She's one of the works with me now and uh, we've been split up for seven years now but in that relationship we did everything we could in the monogamous container to keep that excitement and the freshness alive but it wasn't ultimately sufficient um and yeah but I, y'all weren't like monogamous we were monogamous and i was jealous i was like really jealous Yeah, but like, y'all would bring other women into the bedroom right so uh-huh. that was. So the, you were consensually non-monogamous. Yeah, you had a history with consensual non-monogamy. That's not monogamy. Oh well, I don't know okay, what the definition. Oh, yeah, I But she could. She could. Yeah. That. Well, that's but that's that. not monogamy. Wait, what oh. was it? Wait, tell me. Wait, what so was it? Like, <laughs> <laughs> okay, this is getting really good. <laughs> well, uh, <clears throat> it was monogamy for her. Right. Yeah. Even for one person. And then, so for me, so, so the outlet. In- so the outlet that allowed us the space allowed me personally this caitlin's fucking awesome like there was no flaws with caitlin yeah. and i think that's the important thing here it's not that caitlin was deficient or there's something wrong with her if she was better right. this or better that right. then i would like it was just the fundamental structure itself was flawed and the way that we got around that is caitlin who is pretty heterosexual you know i mean i think we all have a little bit of bisexuality in us right and but Caitlin's mostly heterosexual, likes men. But anyway, she would allow other females to come into the bedroom occasionally. Right. And so we would have threesomes or you know, different experiences with yeah. other girls, but never with another guy. And okay. that because I was jealous. And I thought okay. I had this idea. I had this animal model of like lions or bulls or something where you fight to the death with your horns on display and your, your fangs snarling and your claws out like over my dead body. <laughs> you fuck Caitlin. Like we go to death, you know. 
And then I would just tell my fighter friends, please don't fight me. Like, please. please. I know. I know I say that, but like, not you guys. Like, okay. oh, that's for other people. Can I ask? So you, you guys were, you had your own kind of monogamy. Okay. I want to say something own about kind. language. Yes. Own kind of monogamy. Like okay. Because we could say either that you guys were being consensually non-monogamous, right? You had threesomes with other people and Caitlin knew and, so, and she participated with these other women sometimes. She always participated. Oh, she always, and so okay. that was also the, also the other rule is that. Never once was was I able to have sex independently right. of with without okay. Caitlin being there. So it was always like all of us intermingled and having yeah. sex. Like even right. even if Caitlin left the room, like the sex stopped. Okay, so it you know was I mean? it was a version of consensual non monogamy. Right. Like some people might say, okay, those were baby steps, but for some people that might be how they would want it to end up. But I just want to also say, like you were saying, well, it was kind of monogamy, but. Some for some people that would be monogamy, right? They would mm-hmm. be like, "You can have sex with other people, but like I'm the main thing." Mm-hmm. Whereas somebody else might say, "Like you can't even look at another person because right. that's cheating on me." But Caitlin was saying, or it sounds like you were saying, together. like it was a monogamy agreement, so it's kind of on the monogamy spectrum. Yeah, but okay. what what it did is, first of all, it was ultimately like. We had to create these scenarios that were like that would open the possibility because it was all spontaneous. We would never plan anything. It was just kind of like this. The communication about it, it was kind of like we were already taboo, already kind of pushing the boundaries. It was already like a little naughty and it was always like intoxicated, late night, just kind of something that had to spontaneously happen. As soon as we started planning, that's when things got a little emotional and squirrely. And so it was like you couldn't plan it. You just had to like set the environment. And everybody and then, had to feel it. And everybody had to feel it. And it had to be this spontaneous thing that would happen. So I, cult- <laughs> I, I basically directed the entirety of my life towards creating the environment where this circumstance might happen. Setting it up. Setting mm-hmm. up. So it was whatever the, whatever the party scenario, whatever the situation, whatever the DJ, whatever the thing that needed to be present to get the most likely possible scenario that we could have a threesome. And then that would you know, that would refresh and like regenerate some of that, that kind of passion in the relationship. Right. And it worked for, it worked for a while. Right. Um, But fundamentally, I still call it monogamy because I think the beauty of actual non-monogamy, what we're doing now is both partners having the freedom to explore and both partners having the invitation and the opportunity to do the hard fucking work that comes from allowing your partner to be free. And I didn't have to do any work because I had the rules skewed in my favor. Where, like, mm. I could have sex with Caitlin and other people, but she couldn't even take her top off in public. Wow, how did she feel about that? She was fine with it because that it was, was the okay. paradigm. It that worked. was the and paradigm. And it was already that we were pushing in. the boundary of what was, right. you know, normal. And she felt, mm-hmm. she felt good about being like, everybody was like, oh, oh this is amazing. You got, you got it made. And she felt like happy about, like, yeah, I'm like providing for Aubrey in like a really, you know, boundary pushing, incredible way. And mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, you are. Cause our friends, the people we knew, our peers, like they weren't doing this stuff, right. so we we were already kind of celebrating that we were being uh, progressive. You were out and there. So we're out there, but then but then I read Sex at Dawn, and I realized like, oh fuck, like it's not supposed to be like bulls or lions. It's more like bonobos, where we can all have sex with each other, and that's actually what our anthropological history and our tribal, you know, our tribal nature. That's how it is in best accord with who we are. That we probably I, evolved as cooperative yeah. creatures. Yeah. So I have to say, when we started dating, because we were like 
fully monogamous for two years. I don't even think we had a threesome or anything. No. At all. For two years. For two years. And I was listening to Dan Savage, his podcast, and he has the term monogamish. Mm. And that came up. And I was listening to that podcast like fuming, like what the fuck is monogamish? It just means you just want to fuck other people and have sex with other people and you just want to name it monogamish, really? Like, And we got <laughs> into like so an mad. argument over this like term. But it's funny to see where I was then to be upset and like triggered just by the term of somebody else talking about right. monogamish. That was... To where I'm at now. That was very threatening. And meanwhile, look where you are now. Now she's the one threatening other people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know now. I've, yeah, You're a I double am. threat. Like yeah. The two of you. Yeah, a double threat. But, you know, to your point about bonobos and stuff, I mean, I always say to people, like, there wasn't one way we evolved to have sex. Like, some people are going to love monogamy. That works for them. Although most people, it's not going to work for a lifetime. They're going to come up against the hard wall of after who knows what it is. For some women, it might be a year. For some people, it might be five years, 10 years, 20 years. But what's so interesting about your journey is like people can really thrive in monogamy. But what we know from science is we desensitize to a stimulus over time. Eventually, everybody's going to come up against the hard wall of is, is monogamy for a lifetime the thing for me? Is this a trade-off that I can make? You guys kind of early on were negotiating with that, getting into that. Like, can I make this trade-off? You said no, but for a while you wanted it. Can you talk more about why monogamish, exactly why monogamish as a term really got to you? I think it was just, well, I know for me personally, I come from my past as being uber jealous and uber alpha in all of my relationships. So I was the girl that was like, you cannot look at somebody else. Like, it's just not how it's going to go. So and that's how you always were in your relationships. In my relationships, in yeah. In your romantic relationships. And you mm-hmm. had romantic relationships, sexual relationships with men, not with women. Right. And you always told them, like, don't even look at anybody else. That's cheating. I mean, I was, like, the psycho, jealous girlfriend going through phones, like, looking in drawers and in bed for, for you know, hair. Landmines. Yeah. Anything. Okay, like, meanwhile, I was what that were person. you doing? Exactly. Exactly. This is this is totally my point is the fact that that's how I was, but I was actually doing it. I was the one that was like stepping out of the relationship and getting bored. Okay. And this is why when I found your book, the first part of it was talking about like there's nothing wrong. Like I woke up and there's nothing wrong with my partner next to me. They were great. They're amazing. Beautiful relationship. But I'm bored as hell. Like – and it made me feel bad. It made me feel like I was doing something wrong or that I was just messed up or I was going to be alone for the rest of my life. And so then I would just cheat. Okay, so your strategy was you would have the thing that we know that women get within most of them between one to three years of a relationship. You're with this perfect guy. He's great. Mine was it's like a wonderful. year, like a year and a half. Your drop-off is like a year and a half. Mm-hmm. Except in my case, more like two, but you know, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> So, no, but the truth is, so we were we were we were a little we were getting a little stale, you know. By the time that we decided to transition to non-monogamous, like this wasn't just on me; like it was both of us. It right. was, I mean, so much, and that was five years ago. So much less passionate than we are now. I mean, we still had good sex, but it wasn't like it is. Wasn't like it is now. At least that's my experience. Mm-hmm, of yeah, it. for sure. So you, before we got to this point where you guys opened things up. 
when you were in your previous relationships, you would be with somebody, it was great, he was great, and then you would get bored, and then you would have a fling, or you would start with somebody else without disclosing it. Oh, yeah. Right? And that was the pattern, right? Mm-hmm. I think that is such a typical pattern for some I think it's women. such a typical, and I don't think enough people are talking about it because we're so quick to point fingers at, at women yeah, or people women, who do that yeah. in general. Yeah. Um, that you were like, a normal woman being a normal woman, but nobody had told you that it was normal or right. that there was another and, way to do it. But everyone around us is that that's horrible. How could you ever do that? You know? And mm-hmm. so like then you're shaming yourself. Like I am horrible. I am doing something wrong. I am waking up and I'm like I am fucked up. And this is like the cycle that we get caught up in. And so that's why I think your book was so transformational for myself and all of my girlfriends. And then like going in through being – and that kind of paradigm for myself into transitioning into open and seeing like all the lessons that I've learned and how I relate to people now is completely different. So when people tell me like I could never be in an open relationship or I can never be fill in the blank, I just can't, I can't say, I can't agree with you when you say never. I'm not saying that you should by any means, but it's like I made a 180 you were the poster child for being monogamous mm. and then getting bored and then doing your thing on the DL. On the DL. And, and then, then I would feel guilty, so then I would tell my partners. <laughs> like, oh, boy, let me tell you something. <laughs> By the way. And then how did that go over? Not great. Yeah. Horrible. But they were so in love, they probably were just like, oh, please don't do it again. And we were like, sure thing. Meanwhile, phone blowing up. Other boyfriend. I mean, changing yeah. phone, like changing names <laughs> in my phone. Just call burner. Burner phone. Yeah. 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 You, what are you doing at Cricket Cell Phones? Don't you have a, don't you have an at and oh, I don't know. Just I mean, if I thought about getting a second phone, I probably would have. Like, yeah, it would have been. That. Yeah, you would have been like that executive with mm-hmm. two phones, except it would have been for your love life because it was so complicated. And right, I just then you never, find this hottie. Yeah, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, it was just I just never like felt like I, I could talk about these things. I didn't have the communication to or the like ability to know how to communicate this. You know, there wasn't the. Well, it also around. wasn't in the zeitgeist. Like it wasn't yeah. out there. It wasn't out there when we were going through this. Maybe if you were a gay man, right? And that's, I think, why Dan Savage was talking about it, right? I mean, he had access to that culture, which was a little bit more progressive, probably, in thinking and talking about this. I mean, gay men were doing consensual non-monogamy for a long time. Yeah, and so were heterosexual couples, but it just wasn't out. It wasn't trickling out into the And it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't part of heterosexual culture like it was part of gay culture. Mm -hmm. I mean, they were really, like, doing it. And then, but I think it was still, for us straight people, it was considered well, and so it unusual was, and it was stigmatized too Very it's either you're a swinger or you're a, a swapper or whatever and all of these words had this like kind of gnarly connotation to mm-hmm. them that you're just like this sex addict that does these weird you know perverted things really othering but, language right, right exactly yeah. rather than just normalizing okay no this is the relationship structure that we're choosing yeah. because it suits us best on all levels mentally physically spiritually emotionally we're getting met on more levels this way and able to live radically, authentically truthful with each other, which is huge for me. You so, know, because I'm a, I'm naturally an anxious person. I couldn't the reason the reason why I didn't cheat, I was never a cheater. The reason why was because I was too fucking anxious. Like I couldn't <laughs> handle, I couldn't bear it. Yeah. I couldn't bear it. I was like too like uh, uh, to worry uh. about it was so much worse. Yeah, it was so much worse than the pleasure of having sex that I would just suck it up. You made that trade off. I made the trade off. I made that sacrifice. I was like, well, 
I could have sex on this side, or I could meet this other person, but then I would have to hold this secret and then be worried about it every single day and every moment. It's not fucking <laughs> yeah, that's worth why it. I just told them. Yeah, right. <laughs> You're like, just did a bad thing, please. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. It's like me going to confessional or something. It's like you guys really had to meet each other. <laughs> for sure. For sure. We were like, we were on a collision course. Okay, so wait, when you first met each other, you said you guys were monogamous for two years, which is a long time. For mm-hmm. some of us to be monogamous, I mean, for some and people, we moved, and we and like we met and we moved in with each other three three months or something after we met. Wait, I don't even know how you met. How did you guys meet? I was Miss Texas at the time, and I was looking for okay, kind of buried the lead on our whole entire friendship that you never <laughs> told me. Like she just tells me in passing, but it's just while like, she's telling another story. It's like a different life at this point. I'm sorry, and wait. I was going to compete at Miss United States and my trainer at the time was like, hey, there's just a new company opening up called Onnit. Why don't you go meet their CEO? Okay, so it's me, Pageant Patty. Big, blonde, Texas hair. Pageant hair. ready. Yeah, and it was like 10.30 a.m. or 11 a.m. Yeah. And it was the day after my 31st birthday. The day after, so you March dragged 1st, into work. I was in my fucking pajamas. First of all, our office DJs. was like 400 square feet. You know, like it was the loft above like a boutique. Okay. Like it was nothing. There was like four employees. You early, were early days of early it. days. Yeah. And and then it got Whitney got linked up with our one of the three employees we had name was Bobby. And Bobby was like, yeah. And he tells me that morning, he's like, oh, we have Miss Texas coming in. And oh. I'm like, dude, <laughs> you're gonna. Fu- I'm in my fucking pajamas. I haven't even run water through my hair yet. You know, like, like I still smell like the fucking whatever Birthday cinnamon. Party. I was upside down on a party bus getting shots of some cinnamon goldschlagered bullshit fireball. That's what it was. It was fucking fireball, and they were trying to pour fireball in my mouth. But then the fireball, because I was hanging upside down on the rails of the party bus, had dripped into my eyes. So I had this like. <laughs> 3 a.m. party bus oh crisis where I had fireball burning in my eyes from nice. taking upside down shots. First world And that problem. was like six yeah. hours earlier. And I'm like crawling in there like bleary eyed <laughs> like, ah, I got to go to work. Meeting your future partner. Yeah. Who and knew? And then there she was. Okay. So Miss Texas shows up. But I'm scrappy. You know, I, I was like, you I really, scrappy. I was scrappy. I was like, hmm, obviously we were going to sponsor her. And as soon as I saw Whitney, I was like, yes. But I was like, yeah. You know, we really take our sponsorship seriously. We should probably go grab a workout or something just to make sure that you're up to the honest standards. <laughs> oh. <laughs> All right. How long did this charade go on? Before? Well, no, I'm kidding. How long? So, well, so we, he like, you guys I think we did like a fast. workout, a couple of workouts and like a lunch or something. And I was in a relationship, of course. And I kind of thought I was going to set her up with my best friend at the time. And that was kind of the idea. But then as soon as we started to get to know each other, I, like, there were some of my friends that got interested and I realized I was interested. I like, no, and I was like, I will literally murder you <laughs> if you start seeing her before I get a chance. Because I was clear. Like, you know, the relationship, the relationship with <laughs> Caitlin was like, Tiger was the relationship clear. with Caitlin was, it was in the separation, early start of the separation phase. Like right. we, we knew that it wasn't quite working and she was coming in right around that time. So I was like, Oh, uh oh! Like this is this is far too. There strong. was a really strong connection between yeah. you two. Okay, I just want to say, from the perspective of science, 
working out with her was a really great idea. Right? Yeah, See, right? Even you know with fireball in my right? eyeballs and hungover, <laughs> that's what I'm saying. That was a good moment for that me. Maybe it was divinely that, inspired. Like, that rush Well, no, that's just for him to like yeah. show off. <laughs> <laughs> like, let's not get this twisted here. He's like, here, you, here boo, you want to come work out with me? Let me take my shirt off and do a few push-ups. And <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah, it worked, though. It did work. But I also am very good at that. So I was like, mm-hmm. I almost beat you in a foot race. I mean, that just depends on how you really want to call almost, but you know, all right. I just want to say to <laughs> listeners, if She's you, really fast, if you want to seal the deal with somebody, working out together is a good way. Science says. And look, I mean, look at this. proof positive. Here we are. All right. So, so then we he, he books something to go out to California. And this is where our stories uh, separate. They take different paths here. Mine's the correct story because it's <laughs> slightly embellished. Um, <laughs> so we go to I California. Disagree. Respectfully, <laughs> respectfully disagree, but okay, go ahead. So, the, so he wants to book something where we go to California <laughs> together and we're doing a photo shoot or something. And he keep te- before that, he's texting me like, where do you want to stay in Cali? And I'm like, I don't know. Like, I don't ever go out there. Like, And so he's like, what do you want to stay on the beach or do you want to stay in town or in That's LA. Right. Nice question. And I mm-hmm. was like, I, I, I don't know. I think anything will be great. Neat. And <laughs> so then we get on the plane <laughs> and I don't remember now. Oh, yeah. All right. Well, let me fill in what actually happened. Whitney starts nuzzling up. Oh, see, this is right. She starts nuzzling up and I'm giving her some back rubs. And giving me a back we're rub. G- giving her some back rubs and we're kind of getting a little touchy feely and we're laughing and we're giggling and we're talking about things. And then we get to Cali and we go out to dinner. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> oh, my oh. God. Uh, rewind. <laughs> okay, so that's one part. we get to California and we check into the Lowe's in Santa Monica. and Santa Monica, nice place to say good move. Yes, yes. So get this. So then we go up to the front desk and I just go up to the front desk too. And um, they're like, okay, Mr. Marcus, we have you in a one king bed suite. Just one bed, just not not two rooms, just one room. And we hadn't like kissed. We hadn't done anything at oh, this okay. point. All right. yeah. <laughs> Nothing. Nothing. It was a cart before the horse moment, but maybe you were just but feeling I was just like, tapped in. I, just, just, I was just reading the signs. Well, and then okay. I was like, I was, just oh read, oh God, I was oh like the Oracle okay. at Delphi. I was reading the tea leaves. Okay. I knew where it was going. And guess what? My oracle was correct because <laughs> fast forward five hours and what are we doing in that bedroom? That one bedroom king spree. We're, we're okay. spraying the walls. He was right. Oh we're we're spraying the walls in that, in that king suite at the Lowe's. He was right. It looked like a sacrifice to Zeus in there. <laughs> okay, you guys went crazy. You we got, went crazy. You guys well, had such good chemistry. Too, so. You had period sex? Yep. Yeah. On your first sexual encounter and it wasn't just like a little bit of period sex it was literally we finished we had to change rooms because it literally looked like it looked like we killed a goat we slaughtered a lamb (laughs) (laughs) in a ceremony to Bacchus okay you're like uh we we gotta move rooms there's not enough sheets (laughs) or towels or Or bleach or anything (laughs) this we gotta call the wolf from pulp fiction and get the wolf to come in here the fixer to come come clean this it looks like um we promise there's no dead hooker hidden in here but this was all us we just need to move rooms now please i don't know that many um stories of couples who like their first sex was period (laughs) sex you guys just went right to like intense intimacy like year five usually yeah. people are like after i was with him for 10 years we had sex when i had my period because a lot of heterosexual men have a an issue with that i guess you didn't 
No, no, we didn't, didn't have, have I didn't have any that. issues with that. And it was it was interesting because, you know, most sex when it starts out, it's it's pretty like you're kind of feeling each other out. But like Whitney is like fucking fired up. She was like ready. She she could receive like the full force of my most extreme version of athletic <laughs> sexual masculinity. And I was like, holy shit. Like I was I was like giving it everything I got. And she's like, yeah, more. And I'm like, more. <laughs> more like i don't even know if i got another gear let me fucking check the shifter like this uh, this transmission's never been in she was seventh enjoying gear enjoying some variety and novelty yeah, she was. I she was. having a new I sexual was. adventure and, and she's then female, i had to call my so. boyfriend i called my boyfriend the next day or the day after and said we needed to split up <laughs> okay the timing was that yeah mm-hmm. okay so the timing was the ne- so you did like some auditioning yeah, <laughs> that is a, you know, that is like a tried and true strategy all mm-hmm. over the world of mm-hmm. women who commit infidelity. Sometimes they're doing a little partner auditioning. Mm-hmm. I was being auditioned. <laughs> you got the part. I got the part. <laughs> got got the the part. part. Yes. Okay. And for two years, you guys played the roles monogamously. We did. It was two years of monogamy. And for you, that was kind of new that you went two whole years. Yeah. <laughs> And for you, you were putting aside your feelings before that monogamy hadn't been a satisfying way for you in the yeah. long term. And also not hooking up with other And we women. weren't having threesomes either. So, you weren't doing so that. the outlet that I had patterned to keep novelty. And I, it's not like I wasn't like suggesting it to Wit, but Wit was like, eh, not interested. I was like, okay, cool. I'm st- we're still good. We're still good. But then as the two years approached, it's like, eh, we're not good. And then that was also when that mindset shift happened with Chris Ryan's book, Sex sex at dawn where i realized like damn like all right there's another way i gotta let if i want to do this i gotta let wit have the same freedoms the same exact freedoms that i want you know she deserves and wants as well yeah and needs probably more than you did yeah yeah i I wouldn't have been able to do it the other way around like there's no way there's no way i would be able to be in like a one-sided monogamous relationship to where he's able to explore freely and I couldn't. So when he brought up, okay, so what do you think about this idea that we keep things spicy by bringing another woman in? I was too jealous still. Yeah. No. The fuck out of here. Right. You just weren't interested. (laughs) It wasn't your thing. It wasn't your thing. And did you just keep at it that you needed I mean, it got to the point where it was it was really we sat down at, at our dining room table and I was like, wait, like I need this and I know this is the right path for me, not only for not only sexually, but I feel like this is the right path for me in relationship, period. And I had no fucking clue about how much internal work and how hard it was going to be. I thought like, no, I understand the you know animal nature that's universal between us, this desire for not. And I thought I was going to be able to handle it. I had no fucking idea how hard it was going to be to actually reprogram and repattern those ideas of jealousy and possession and the validation that comes from sexuality and all the things that we've gone through the past five years. Right. No clue. But then I was I had all hubris and, you know, also well, the necessity to, yeah. to have this for at least my side of the relationship. So I say this about men a lot um, that like I one thing that I love about gay men and straight men is like you felt entitled to have what you needed in a relationship you felt like you were entitled not in an unhealthy or a selfish way but you felt that your sexual pleasure 
mattered and that you were entitled to it. Mm-hmm. So, okay, you like had the the raw nerve to bring it up. Yeah. And you presented it as we'll both do this thing. Mm-hmm. Of course, you blamed it on Chris Ryan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's all Chris Ryan's uh-huh. fault. Sure. I, I I always tell people, I always tell women who are wanna who say like I'm really struggling. I'm like, when you talk to him or her, or whatever, just blame just it on blame me. It on her. Blame it <laughs> yeah. on somebody else. Okay, so blame Chris, it on honor, us. Chris had the great honor of you blaming it on mm-hmm. him. And then what did you think? I lost it. I was like, I just remember he walked out of the room or something, and I was still in the in the uh, dining room, and I just like dropped to my knees bawling crying because to me the relationship was completely over done because so it was just like this moment of like wow everything that I've ever thought possible is not that anymore because I'm not good enough I'm not he doesn't love me enough I'm not enough for him you know and I feel like that's where a lot of us get tripped up on is if our partner is interested in somebody else, then that means then we we are lacking and there's a detriment to us. And that that's it's not, a critique. It's a referendum it's a, on us. Right. We're not providing it. Okay, but hold up because it was two years in and you were past your usual like boredom threshold. So you, but but you couldn't feel it as like, oh snap, now I get to like go out and I have fun no. adventures because it felt like. Because I also still had that like very jealous side to me, you know, I wasn't, I didn't want him to be with any other women. I didn't like, I was still very jealous and insecure. And so when that conversation came up to me, it was like the relationship was ending. And so now when I look back at it, something we talked about at our event we held together was I realized that moment, what the reason I was grieving so much was because it was a death. And it wasn't just like a death of the relationship. It was the death of what I thought was, you know? I thought yeah, of my whole life that I had thought about with Aubrey and marriage and kids and blah, 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 that to me, I was, was grieving the over. death of all of that. It was over. I know you told me, we've talked about how in your relationship coaching, you say to people who are interested in, o- in an open relationship, you say, it's normal for you to grieve that this is a deviation from what you might have hoped mm-hmm. before. But what you told me you always say is not, now you're starting something new now. Yeah. Yeah, it is. I but mean, it, that's, yeah. And so for me, though, I had to we split up and I moved out of the house and then I went backpacking for three months. Oh, you said this is it. You really, it was over. It was over. She ended up hooking up with my best friend actually on her backpacking trip. <laughs> well, that'll teach time. you, okay? I know, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that'll teach you, but that, right. But to go to that former point, I mean, I think, you know, Mike Posner is a singer-songwriter. He's a good friend of mine. He has a lyric to his song. He says, the beginnings are always hidden in the ends. But it's hard to see that. Hard to see it's hard that. to see the beginning that was hidden in that end. It just felt like an end. And another good important point too is anything that we have our identity attached to, that could be a part of the relationship. That could be any aspect of your life, really, your job, your physicality, your appearance. Like when anything changes, there is a grieving period. Because like our identity is in some ways our ego life. And anytime that shifts or changes that part of our ego that part of our identity dies and it's like natural to grieve that to a certain and you almost have to you almost have to feels like it's a piece of you if you're identifying with that then it is a part of you and so if that dies if that ends or changes or transitions then a piece of you has died and you grieve grieve it and you've tied it up 
really nicely, I thought, in the way you described it. You said that you had an idea that you were moving towards something, that you guys, that your relationship would progress in a certain way, and that that was the, the one path was toward lifelong monogamy, children, commitment, even through boredom, and, mm-hmm. and, and so on. And yeah, it was like something just crashed into that path. Yeah. Yep. And we had, you know, this this process as our relationship has continued to evolve, there's been multiple points of of grieving, you know, even up to the to the recent stage where like and I think really understanding that even in any aspect as something shifts, there is a there is a grieving period. I remember even, you know, when Whitney was about to go on her really long trip with her boyfriend Ricky, who she loves, like in Tulum, there was right before she left, this was kind of our last trip together, a little chance for us to connect before we were going to spend pretty much all of December apart. And I remember I would just break down. I was uncontrollably crying for like two hours, just grieving like, and and I couldn't stop. I mean, it was, it was sobbing like, I can only remember crying like that like a couple times in my life, like when my cousin Eric died and when like me and Caitlin split up and I knew it was over, there was a period like that. And like that, even though we were still going to try and figure it out, it's still going to work. It was changing significantly enough that the grief was like, it was mourning a, a death in that regard too. So, and you know, I didn't have the necessarily the knowledge that I do now in hindsight, it's like, okay, I was just grieving the shift that I could feel mm-hmm. coming. And Whitney was actually looking at me like, Oh, it's all right. It's all right. Like, you know, things are going to be fine. Like she was looking at me like, why the fuck are you crying so much? Like, why are you crying this hard? But I could feel the sh- that the shift was happening. Yeah. And so like, even though we were having a great time and, you know, things were good, like that I knew I could sense some some big shift in the structure happening and the, and the grief was was unbelievable. You know, I... I don't know exactly how to express this. I want to get back really to the narrative of how this happened, but I want to say something about you, which is that um, there's this way, I think, in which a lot of men come to you and listen to you for a certain version of masculinity. And maybe they think, oh, he's in an open relationship. Look at him. There's that picture of him on Instagram with his hair. I'm like, this is what I want. (laughs) But I love how you like smack in the face of all of that. You talk about how being in an open relationship is the hardest thing you've ever done. You talk about how it brings you to your knees. You talk about how you've cried. You've asked questions about, is part of this from my family of origin? What are the deep wounds in me? And and you really put out a version of yourself that's really vulnerable. And I want to honor that because people come to you for a certain version of what is it to be a successful, like, top guy. And you're showing them that part of it is, like, being in touch with your pain, letting the woman you love do what she wants, not being a hypocrite about your sexuality. That's a big thing. Thank you for that. Yeah, it's uh, it's the only way I, I know. It's the only way I feel right. It's the only thing that actually it actually gives me the purpose and like the the meaning behind what i'm doing is to be that radically authentic because everything else it just doesn't feel right and it doesn't feel worth it a lot of men that would just be out there like yeah i'm a stud yeah i'm with a lot of women (laughs) Mm -hmm. that's it that's end of end of story 
But you yeah. don't you don't let the story end there. You know, and I don't anybody who's in this and really loves their partner and then has to go through their partner being in love and having sexual experiences with another person, like I don't know how they don't feel this. I mean, they must feel this same thing. It's I think it's a universal feeling unless they're just so good at blocking, distracting, avoiding, averting, you know, their protectors as you would say an internal family system like their protectors are so strong that they don't even look at it, but either i just can't conjure it up enough strong protectors or <laughs> just, or i have to use the alchemy of expressing my pain to people so that hopefully other people can benefit from it as my only way to cope right with these things that are that are actually happening hey open relationships it's not just all about studliness okay <laughs> no. guys there's like a whole vulnerability no. and, you know, piece. there's there's people who've reflected to me like and used hefner as like an idea like oh yeah like the modern hugh hefner i'm like new no oh gross like no fuck (laughs) that because to me that was like that's the old way right like he had his girls had curfews and and they couldn't see anybody else and they were watched and they had bodyguards and he never had to deal with the other side like the other valuable growth side of being in a polyamorous relationship an open relationship where he had to sit with his own insecurities and his own right. issues of validation and was like well he was in control that. he was in total control yeah. the whole time and he was he was the, the patriarch he was the he patriarch was. playboy right but that's the that's i think the model that that to me needs to be radically altered because that's the old old way you yeah. know and and so anybody who tries to reflect that on me i'm like no 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 right. you didn't see me crawling around vomiting on wood floors here in new york and like crying <laughs> for hours at a time and you didn't see that that's that's there's nothing hefner about there's that nothing right? like, about there's that. nothing nothing playboy about any and, of that yeah aspect. i think a lot of guys want and a lot of people want that illusion about polyamory and open relationships i know that um there have been some critiques like from within the poly community. Um, there have been people who say like, you know, there are a lot of like, there's a lot of interest now um, among people in the tech sector and polyamory, right? And and there's been talk about it lately and what some people in who are in tech and have friends who are into polyamory, almost all of the male say is like, this is just kind of a retread of like, men have the power and they get to have all the women and this isn't really what polyamory is about this is just kind of a hefner thing so i love that you're putting out the other the other truth about it which is if you are really 100 percent in it it's not going to be easy it's not <laughs> no that's the thing with open or anything i mean it, it highlights all of your shit Anything that you're not looking at, it's going to bring up to the surface. Any fears, any insecurities, any past traumas, anything you're holding on to, it, you don't get a chance to not look at it. And so you guys luckily found um, like an open relationship shaman to work with you, right? Like right. you needed yeah. somebody who knew it and you worked with the therapist for a long time, yeah, both Dr. of you Dan together, Eagle. right? Did that did that come up because you were at a point of crisis and you just couldn't get on the same page, but you wanted to be together I think it was, after your backpacking trip? Yeah, well, I think it was like as soon as we, as soon as I came back from the backpacking trip and we knew we were getting into this relationship, he was already seeing somebody. And so I was getting into this relationship you know, again, but he already had another girlfriend. So I didn't have, it was either you're in or you're out, you know, you take, take a pick. And so for me, it was, I didn't know if this was something that I wanted or didn't want. Um, I wanted to try it. 
and that's how I was going to get my experience and that's how I was going to be able to know if I wanted it or not. So the, the and, your motivation to try it was you wanted to be with Aubrey and he was with somebody else at this point. Yeah, but said, there, was also the, there was also the curiosity. There was the curiosity of like, well, I have cheated on everyone I dated. So... And here was the thing, like, so where did that spark that came from me hooking up with his best friend when I was traveling? And I realized, oh, my God, this is amazing. I'm really enjoying this, but I still love Aubrey. Wait, so I can have fun with somebody and it doesn't take away my love from Aubrey? Whoa, mind fuck. So then I come back. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, Aubrey, you were so right. Oh, by the way, I fucked your friend. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so, <laughs> I found out that you were right by fucking your friend. Just saying. <laughs> You know what? I just like to say relationships are messy and like, yeah. Wow. So yeah, we got like we came back and we decided to do it. But I think we had Dr. Dan just kind of like get us going a little bit, um, and then we used him mainly for a crisis, which I fully recommend having somebody that is there throughout the process and not just using them in crisis modes. Yeah, use it use do. it as preventative medicine. Preventative. Not like just, you do for people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now that you're working as a relationship coach, you're mm-hmm. helping people before they need triage, right? Right. right. But like so what a powerful like, teacher he was that he's incredible. like set you on he set you on a course in a relationship, but he also like gave you a professional calling mm-hmm. or helped you articulate. Mm-hmm. So you started out, it was rocky. I just want to say, like, thank God you had that guy because, and I always say, like, thank God for Mark Kalp, who's in San Diego and helps people who are consensually non-monogamous, or Michael Moran, who's here in New York, or Open Love New York, which is a great resource, because if it weren't for him, it might have been really difficult, right? Like, yeah, it still was really difficult. Where are know? the and, exemplars? And there's, like, where's the paradigm? We needed, yeah, we needed enough help to at least bridge us through so that we could keep the learning, growing, expansive process going. And that was, you know, he was at least the minimum effective amount that we needed. And without that, most likely we probably wouldn't be here. You no, could, I don't think we would be here. You could have gone to somebody honestly who would have said to you guys, I just want you to know that this doesn't work. Open relationships like never everybody work. Everybody that yeah. we were surrounded by other than Dr. Dan. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there are there are people who go and they like make this this confession to somebody. They tell somebody, they'll let somebody in on their secret and then the shrink says, well, you know it can never work. And I'm so glad that didn't happen to you. Mm-hmm. That's the stuff that drives me fucking crazy. Like... that that would be like me saying monogamy doesn't work you know and it's like it can work if you choose it to work if you choose the difficult practice of monogamy right if you know it's a challenging practice like you're you make it like your spiritual practice to be in a monogamous relationship it can definitely work and poly can definitely work and any sort of mixture in between of that can work too if, if you choose and it feels best for you Right. Why are people saying that one way is the right way and the other way isn't? You can't handle it. I know. <laughs> Look, our heritage is we can do a lot of different things. We mm-hmm. can get pleasure from a lot of different kinds of relationships. You guys do so much work with each other. You do so much talking. You do so much negotiating. How much of your relationship time would you say is spent negotiating and renegotiating what you'll be doing what the rules are how you're going to be 
you know, because it strikes me as it's just kind of like fluid. It's yeah, kind of a way, constant, but way more, way more than probably either of us have ever experienced. Like proportionally, oh well, for sure. Proportionally, like the ratio is it's a ten x on what we would have in a normal relationship. At, it's, it's a conservative multiplier of how much more right. talking is necessary. Like how much more we talk than you've talked in your previous relationship. How much more we've talked than I've talked in my previous monogamous relationships, or how much more that we talk now than we did when we were monogamous. I mean, it's at least 10 times more. I would say like 100 times more for me <laughs> because I was just like, nah, fuck it, we're not going to talk. <laughs> like, whatever. Um, the beauty queen from Corpus Christi <laughs> shutting down the talk. We're not going to talk about that. <laughs> we're not talking about that. The not cutes. anymore. Um, not anymore. And I don't remember what I'm going to say. Well, what we've found, though, too, is that we think we're going to get to a level where we're communicating and we're in truth. And we would have these we would talk about these bring it to 100 conversations that we had, which was kind of our hundred at the time. But we were so blind to our own true feelings and the own actual things that were going on that our communication, while we thought it was good and even when we thought it was good, was really lacking lacking the insight the introspection the emotional intelligence the experience of actually going through this so and it's something that's constantly evolving like the standard as we go deeper and deeper into the layers the standard gets higher and higher for what real impeccability is what real partnership is and being a teammate and you know that's these are the things that even now up to you know from a week ago from this podcast almost actually drove us apart like Whitney and I's relationship almost ended because, I got the I got the email. It was right. a newsletter. I was like the co-host, always the last to know <laughs> that you almost broke up. Yeah. And that's and that's really us not recognizing what that next level that we had to ascend to in our communication and in our introspection and in our agreement, you know, level, like what we had to reach in order to keep this thing, you know, nourishing and healthy and fun. I think it's interesting how like you guys, the next step that you had to take, you were together monogamously, you opened up, you did all the work, all the communication, all the things that you did, you're engaged, you guys wanna be married, and the next step for you on the path, it would seem to be one thing, and instead the next step was to have your own places to live. Can you mm -hmm. talk about that a little bit? Can we get into that? Because usually we think, okay, if a relationship is good, you get together, you're monogamous, you're living together, you move in together. Maybe the next step is you get a dog together. <laughs> Did that. You get engaged, <laughs> you get married, you have children, da -da, and you guys are mixing it up. You said, okay, next step in our commitment journey is we get separate homes. Yeah. Tell me about it. So this is something that we haven't talked about at all. We haven't made this public in the slightest. Wow, it took me not long enough. Not even in my newsletters. It took know, me long enough. Yay, we're breaking news here. Breaking. Breaking news. Instead of his damn newsletter. <laughs> I call him Mr. Newsletter because I'm like, I find out about these things <laughs> right before they go out. God darn. Well, I wrote it Tuesday night and I was like, you want to read it? It's going out tomorrow. And you're no. like, no. <laughs> like, okay. You got a half day. You'll, you'll see you it. You got yeah. a half day lead time. All right. Yeah. So can we talk about this? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I think it was like, well, as you know, the research shows that space is so beneficial for relationships. And for me yeah. in particular, like I grew up basically an only child. I have two half brothers, but they didn't live in the same house as me. Um, and so I always had my alone time. So I really enjoy being alone. 
And then now in this relationship with Aubrey and I'm in a relationship with Ricky. And so it was like, I never had it. And I, and I want to see my girlfriends. And so I never had any alone time. Like I just didn't have any time for that at all. Right. Period. And it was just getting to a point of like, I know that that's something that I really need in my life. And I, I honestly think it would be beneficial for all of my relationships if that was something that we could do and talk about. And instead of seeing it as we're taking a step back in our relationship, I actually see it as an expansion and a progression yeah. of the relationship. Yeah. Um, but it was challenging to kind of even wrap, wrap our heads around that. You're going against the whole cultural narrative that sure. commitment means you have to be together all the time and live together and you got to see his and dental is, floss. Right. Yeah. And this is yeah. the other thing is like we didn't even just see each other, you know, in the mornings and at night. Like I would go up to the office and have lunch and hang out and we'd see each other always and travel with each other always. And we really enjoyed that. Um, and I think it's just giving both of us some space a little bit to do and put our dental floss and, <laughs> you know, leave our brushes out or whatever else yeah. by ourselves. It's just kind of nice. Yeah, and, and that was another opportunity to mourn, though, as well. And I think that was something that I kind of sensed as it was going through. And I think you kind of was like, oh, yeah, you know, kind of no big deal. But I could sense another big thing coming. You know, it's like, okay, this is a big this is a big shift. Like we have to navigate the differences now of having separate places. And um, and I think that was also precipitating us having this kind of point where we came together and like, okay, we have different places now. You have two substantial relationships. You need your alone time. Like what are, what is the landscape? That how does actually, this work? How does this work? And that was, that was the point where we didn't know if it could work or not. And, you know, so we took a week of space and then decided like oh yeah it can work and like here's the new future that we need to build and the new agreements that we need to keep so that it can work and really flourish more talking. Say, more talking more talking <laughs> more talking always <laughs> talking but can talking. i say i think okay maybe this is because i have lived with my husband for 19 years love him you'll meet him tonight and but having lived with somebody for 19 years when I I am so inspired that you guys decided to live apart, it sounds really sexy. It is sexy. Among I other you, things, it's sexy. I got this condo downtown Austin. It's like the uh, amazing bachelorette pad, and it's super comfortable. And like, but it's fun for us. It's it feels like we're dating a little bit. You know what I mean? Like he comes over and picks me up, and we just walk down the street to the, the different bars and restaurants. And then I went out one night and got you know, wasted with some friends and came home and was like booty calling him at 3.30 in the morning, like come over, you know? And so it like, I haven't, it. we haven't She's done those it. things in so long because we've been together for seven years. So how cool to be able to like spark back that energy. The variety that, and novelty, yeah. the adventure. You guys put some adventure back in. Yeah, yeah. and it's just, it was, it's been fun. Not to mean, not to say that I, there wasn't it wasn't challenging and it wasn't scary and, and did you just feel like your stomach dropping like we're moving away from each other was there that moment well, of yeah. stomach think, drop like I think oh it my was, god the the challenge was is that it was conflated with the escalation of a relationship with Ricky too so it was hard to separate those two variables and I think more intelligently you know we could have like managed it probably and understood the challenges of conflating those two because. 
as a, a new relationship and the onboarding of that and the escalation of that is rising and having something that you know can be perceived as a step back mm-hmm. that was that was extra challenging because it was like shit like not only is that relationship escalating which is hard enough and you're moving out like shit you know so that was really that was really hard because handling either one of those things on their own is hard enough but ultimately i think it was the necessary step it was creating the right balance but the challenge for me was not reading into it that you know okay well of course you're getting your own place because you love him more and that's you're just gonna you know kind of push me to the side and all of these these narratives that kind of run through your head in the shadow side when you're you know insecure and worried about stuff like those kind of can rise up but fundamentally there was that faith that yeah this is the right this is the correct next move you know there was never a point where either one of us doubted whether it was the right move it was just hard to kind of separate those two you know events that were happening kind of simultaneously right okay before we wrap it up because i don't want to wrap it up (laughs) i want to talk to you about just being a guy and sort of bucking the script of like masculine possession you're with whitney and she has a boyfriend and you talk about him and he comes up in conversation you talk about how it's not always easy what can you tell people i i also love that you guys never say that open relationships are the right way Mm -mm. you say that it's working for you but what would you say to people men who are just like thinking that that's too they just couldn't handle it that's not what men do it would be too emasculating for them what 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 do you want to say to guys or do you have anything that you want to say to them about how how that works for you how you've negotiated with that i think to me the model like the greatest expression of masculinity to me is a universal kind of divine expression of masculinity and it's reflected in that classic image of shiva who's laying down on his back and Shiva's with this kind of glowing contentment in his eyes as Kali with the wild hair and the necklace full of severed arms and heads and her tongue out and a saber in one arm and this wild expression of of feminine energy Shakti as they would say like is dancing on his chest and he's looking up at her like oh wow isn't she great you know and like that expression of holding the divine masculine which is a universal understanding that you can expand your identity from the singular to the universal like that idea of is to me the epitome of masculinity it's not the conan the barbarian with his harem it's not emperor ming with his twenty thousand women or whoever like that's the old antiquated dark expression but the shiva expression of like letting the woman be as wild and true and free in her expression and holding that yeah i am this man but i'm also every man i'm also all of all of all men you know and all of all spirit and all of that i think that to me is the is the the model that has to shift you know shifting away from the conan model to the shiva model i hate the word cuck yeah i hate it when men (laughs) use the word cuck i hate it when women use the word cuck because basically all they're saying is like the way to be a man is to hold a woman back and to show her that you're boss that that to me that's what the conan the barbarian model or the the old model that you're talking about yeah i mean it's uh 
I didn't it's mean been to around age. it's been around forever that idea you mm-hmm. know like that is that and i think shifting that idea and i think for women i think this idea of being this more domesticated you know kind of yes you know a little bit more submissive and subdued and you know stuffing in those urges and being the the good wife and all of these other ideas is part of that shadow expression of what feminine expectation is you know and it's Mm -hmm. like so allowing the freedom to be more expressive with your sexuality and burst through those ideas of slut shaming and the desire for sexuality and novelty and allow that and find somebody who can celebrate that as hard as it might be to shift from conan to shiva you know like to celebrate that and that's that's the invitation you know and that's that's the only way that it ever really makes sense and when i'm in my hardest times and i actually might read this on here because it's a it's a poem that i wrote about this um but that's the only way that it ever you can ever find the stability is to truly celebrate your partner's wild nature and like be like yeah be fucking Kali, like be Shakti, like go, go burn it all down, like whatever you want to do, like I can hold it, like I can hold the container. Hear that, Whitney? Mm-hmm. That's your mandate. <laughs> <laughs> let me, I'll, let me see if I can find this poem real quick, and I'll read it. Aubrey's going to read a poem. This will be the first time on our podcast that someone has read a poem. He's an ama- amazing writer. He writes poems all the time. I'm lucky to receive them does he write you love poems Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i have like a full box of all kinds of notes and poems and handwritten letters guys that's the way to be a total stud (laughs) write us some love poems yep get on it you know it's funny though i used to i was always write poems but if you write them and it's kind of like you're writing them as a lure and you're writing them kind of expressing your fantasized ideas about what you think they might want or whatever, mm. it'll actually probably create distance. You know, so if you're like, you, if, <laughs> it never worked is basically what I'm saying. Like being a poet, didn't. it only works like when you really know the person and you see them truly and your expression is true and then it lands. But it has to land not based on some covetous desire, not based on some projection of, the fantasy like that you think they outcome. are yeah or yeah, like trying to be. create some outcome it has to it has to come from truth so to all poets out there like make sure this is grounded not in your fantasy or flattery but in the deep visceral truth that's curled around your spine comes from the place where laughter comes from if that's where the poems come from you know they're gonna land read it mm. poems Please. called unicorn and i wrote this um about whitney in a really challenging time unicorn The woman you want most is a unicorn. You will never tame her. Your ring will never contain her. Your name will never claim her. She is wild as the moon, shimmering white, the ghost of your mind sky's night. You can try to forge a bridle made out of plastic credit and dollar bills. You can try to form a saddle secured by the thrusts of your cock or the seed of your children. And she may wear both bridle and saddle, but in her heart she is wild. So the only way to tame the unicorn, to set your inflamed heart at ease, is to become no longer a man, but the grass on which she grazes, the wind that rustles her hair, the ground on which she sleeps, the sun that warms her skin, and the hand of every cowboy she chooses to fancy for a dance. For none but the universe can tame a unicorn, so become the universe, and she will be yours. Mm. <laughs> wow right yeah 
I like how the thrust of that poem is, <laughs> if you want to be a stud, then bow down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Welcome Surrend- it. Welcome yeah, it. Surrender, surrender to your universal nature. You know, and that's, that is the, the highest expression of masculinity. Just surrender to the truth of who you really are, which is much bigger than the identity that your ego thinks it is. It's the full spectrum. Yeah. And same for your partner, right? Like if you, and you meet each other there, the fuller like you are and the brighter you are and like ev- become the universe, then your partner meets you there too. And it's like, it's just straight magic. Thanks for the lessons, you guys. <laughs> I'm just taking it all in. <laughs> you guys are a great example. And I think that one of the things that moves people the most is that you're so clear that this is your way. It's not for everybody, but you're here for people if they want to listen. It's it's so powerful that you're not telling anybody that this is the right way, just that it's your way. It means a lot. Yeah, there's just been so much. I mean, and we even talk about the, you know, for now, this is the type of relationship that we're choosing. And maybe in the future, we'll transition into something else. And I think for people who aren't interested in going into an open relationship or trying that out, a lot of the lessons that we've learned through open can be extremely beneficial for strictly monogamous relationships. It's almost like the the classic hero's journey, right? Like, there's no way that I could have ever been in a monogamous relationship prior to doing this, you know, open relationship journey because I would have never been able to unlock those pieces that are really fundamentally would be necessary to really know myself at that deepest level and know my partner at that deepest level. I wouldn't have been able to do it. But now, you know, even though we're happily not choosing that, the possibility is like, oh, actually, this could be possible. And we would have it would just be a conscious sacrifice, a spiritual practice in which we, you know, engaged each other under this set of rules, but always would have, I think, the flexibility to be like, oh yeah, you know, like we could shift this at any time because we've been here and done this. I think people try to create these rigid boundaries and these like iron clad walls of like this is our relationship, mm-hmm. this is what it has to be. And it know, has to stay this way. It has way to forever. stay this way forever. Mm-hmm. And that's something I think that, you know, we've learned is absolutely not true because we've gone through so many permeations. So many iterations like. of just one relationship between Just like reinventing our relationship over and over and over and getting clearer and deeper and, and loving each other more and forgetting and then getting clearer and like, oh, shit, where do we fix this here? And it's just constantly evolving. I think that can be really a great lesson no matter what they decide to do, as you said, for people who decide to be monogamous. Maybe they're not going to be that way forever. Maybe they will change things up. Maybe they'll never change things up about partnership and whether they're with other people. But mm-hmm. other things in the relationship are going to be always changing all the time. So thanks for being models of <laughs> like flex, incredible flexibility <laughs> and just showing people that um, you can change. If you want to be with somebody, you have to change with them. Yeah. 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 Everybody yeah. knows how to find Aubrey Marcus, I feel like. Yeah. But do you want to tell them how and where to find you? Yeah. Instagram, I'm really active on there, at Aubrey Marcus, the Aubrey Marcus podcast. And then um, if you're looking for any human optimization, 
tools, techniques, knowledge, inspiration, go to Onnit, O-N-N-I-T. That's the company that I founded that started in that 400-square-foot attic where I met <laughs> Whitney. Where all the good things happen. All the good uh, things happen. It's a little bigger than that now. So. Oh, my God. Thank you so much for being on. Thanks for bringing me and Whitney together. Yes. Ooh, yes. yes. <laughs> I love I'm that so you did happy. that for I'm us. I'm so happy you guys are together. <laughs> me oh too. Oh, my God. You're a good matchmaker. Yes. Thanks, Aubrey. You're welcome. Thank you, guys. I hope you guys enjoyed that podcast. Personally, for me, it's very challenging. Yeah, I understand. We loved each other very much, <laughs> and we still do. It's hard just knowing where, you know, the place that we're in now, which is, actually really beautiful and I am so grateful that we're just in a place where I feel like our love is cleaner than ever before without the expectations and resentments and insecurities that have been there for a while um as you can probably tell we decided to transition our relationship. Um, and so we wanted to get together to talk about it and talk about some of the things that we've learned through this process and um, what a conscious transition can look like, um, especially when you're committed to being friends and allies and teammates. I think one of the things that is the thing that I always have to keep going back to is that we loved each other the best we could. And as much as we've learned, which is a lot, and we were obviously learning a lot, even talking on that podcast, we were learning, talking about all the things that we learned, um, but we still had so much to learn. And it's easy to look from this point of view and look back and say, we could have done this different and we could have, but we, but we couldn't have. You know, we didn't have the awareness. We didn't have the knowledge. We didn't have the experience. We loved each other the best we could. We really, really did our best. Mm -hmm. And that's something for everybody to remember, is that you do the best you can at the time with what you have available, the awareness, the tools, the understanding. And we jumped into this open thing, blind as hell. <laughs> <laughs> Mm -hmm. and uh, and loved each other the best we could and now we have the opportunity to continue to learn and allow our understanding to unfold and deepen yeah well so what do you think you know some of the things that you've learned through this process after the transition looking back you know, some awarenesses that you've gained, some understanding of yourself that you've realized, you know, what are the, some of these things that have come to light for you? Mm -hmm. Well, I think one of the biggest ones for me was really realizing that I was like a love junkie. Like I was just, I so wanted just love from anyone. And, and that's was like my main concern 
think we all are to a certain extent, you know, and I think um, until we understand why we crave that and why we have that insatiable desire for that and like what what is that fixing? Well, generally it's fixing some way in which we don't love ourselves, some way in which we need something external to show to us that we really are worthy of love. You know, that's that's what I've found. I mean, I can look back with a lot of clarity that I too was a love junkie. And because of my own, you know, pathology that was created from my own history and my own past and the own way that through my own parents' divorce and how it all went through, I equated sexual affection to love. That was one of the ways that I received love. And that's one of the ways that I proved that somebody loved me. And it would took me, you know, I've been understanding that, but not really as clearly as possible. Not, not as clearly as I see it now. Not to the point that it was clear enough that I could actually resolve it like I feel like I am now. But that put this open relationship in inherently really challenging ground and made me really unstable. Because if that's the truth and that the primary way in which I have someone prove they love me is by sleeping with me, then every lover that you had was inherently going to be on an even playing field with me simply by the fact that you were having sex with them. So I was always gonna feel like, oh my God, Whitney loves anybody she's sleeping with as much as me because that's how I receive love. But that's not true. It never was true. But I would project that truth. I mean, how many fucking times did I project that onto you with no matter who it was? You know what I mean? And I would suck it up and I would say, I would think conscious thoughts and I would think that I could get through it, but I didn't really understand that, oh, that's how you feel love, Ob. And like, I didn't bring it up to you in that way and I didn't express like, hey, man, this is gonna be challenging to me every time because of this wound that I have and this way that I receive it. I was always talking around it and looking at it in different ways. That's why I was almost, you know, never really okay i could suck it up and i could like make it through especially when the lovers were transitional and transient you know i could have the strength to make it through and then revalidate us when we got back together started sleeping together more and together again for more frequency in a longer time and then i could feel okay i could feel whole again but like not knowing that that was my pattern you know well, that set us up for a deeply challenging path that we couldn't work on together. And I think that's one of the key things with this open is you have to have this blistering awareness so that you can work on stuff together. Like talk about things that you can look back and I can look back and say, wow, I wish I would have had that awareness so I could talk to you about it. And then talk to you about ways that you could help help me through that process and we could work on that together. If I was like, hey, Wit, you know, like I receive love through sexual affection. So I also need to learn not to receive it that way and receive it more holistically through all these other ways. And there's these other ways that you can show me and I can relearn how to do this. And so I can embrace this and get to that level of compersion where I'm enjoying your pleasure better. And all of these conscious ideas that I understood, but my emotional body wouldn't let me feel them, you know? And for you, figuring out like, well, why is it that I had a hard time 
feeling and receiving Aubrey's love, you know, because that was one of the final realizations before our transition was, you know, wow. And this was even at your 30th birthday, like, wow, you know, you don't really believe that I love you, you know? And has this for you, like, what are some of the things that you can look back when you realize, I know you posted a, a beautiful poem about it, but what are some of the things you realize like that prevented you from feeling the way that I actually always loved you as well? I mean, I think for me, a lot of it goes to just past resentments and things that I always felt like I could logically understand and get past them but i never like fully allowed like you said my emotional body to support that and it was like i mean we live in a society where it's very emotionally dismissive like you're not supposed to feel these things and i felt like i'm the strong woman and i can figure this out and here i go watch me figure it all out by myself you know and I kind of just felt like, I don't know. Yeah. That's the, and I think we've talked about the importance of having people who can guide us through this stuff, but we were both a little strong-headed and we both kind of just thought we could figure it out. And we we're both very committed to the idea of being the open relationship flag bearers you know we're like we're pioneers we're gonna go to the moon first and we're gonna plant our flag and we're gonna fucking make it and we did we just you know took some fucking wounds <laughs> we got hit with some asteroids on the way back until it got to the point where we were we just didn't have the structure or the awareness or the the ability to actually move forward anymore with the growth and the awareness that we needed within the construct which is why I think ultimately we knew that we had to to separate, you know, to allow us the opportunity to go like, whoa. Yeah, and also just because there is so much growth that can happen in any relationship for that matter, open or monogamous, however you want to label it. But it really, sometimes you, sometimes the pressure is too great to where the growth is, hindered yeah and it's about doing your best of knowing when that point comes and i mean we tried so hard so many different ways um and then i think finally we just got to the point where like okay the pressure here isn't allowing us to thrive and you know i can look back at myself and own so many ways in which I would always say, you know, you would ask, hey, is it okay if I go take this trip? And my default answer, I wouldn't allow myself any answer, but yes. Mm -hmm. No matter how hard it would be, no matter how much it was going to wreck me. And it was me lying to myself in this wishful thinking mentality, like, I got this. And I actually believed that. Every time I said yes, I like, I believe, like, oh, I got this. But at the end of every trip, I didn't got this. <laughs> Yeah. I think like the importance of that, something that I've really learned and I've brought into my, you know, I guess single <laughs> life is the true importance of, of speaking your truth. 
fully speaking your truth. And if you're not comfortable with something, then then saying it and being okay with with not being comfortable with something, right? Or not agreeing to something that you feel like you should agree to. It's just like no what is important to you and what feels good to you and are you making the agreements that feel right to you are you you know supporting your partner with truth and only truth and to have that truth you have to eliminate the shame about what you can feel and i think for me i had a lot of shame because in the start of this relationship i just expected you to deal with it Mm -hmm. i didn't leave you a lot this wasn't i didn't come into this thing treating you like the partner that ultimately i knew that i had to be treated as so like i came in like hey you agreed to open like i'm gonna just see people like deal with it i'm gonna see whoever i want i'm gonna do whatever i want and like i'll ask permission i expect you to say yes and then we'll fucking go from there and we'll just do it but it wasn't this kind of collaborative partnership where we're pacing at the right pace and we're we were invested enough in each other that we were willing to fold all the other heart, all the other hands and all mm-hmm. the other cards and all the other trips and all the other opportunities until we knew that the other person was really comfortable. But I think for me, yes, one was just general shame because I feel like I'm the conscious guy. I should be able to get over this. And the two was like, well, fuck, I, you know, like I asked Wit to do this same thing. So now Wit's getting to do what I've had the privilege and luxury to do. So I better fucking be okay with it you know and so there's there was multiple levels (laughs) that was also my way of thinking though too i was like i fucking went through it for how long now you better say yes (laughs) you know right so So we set ourselves up from the unconscious beginnings to have this built-in kind of shame resentment kind of trap that we would both feel at certain points that is really difficult to is really difficult to carry forward until you allow it to like resolve mm-hmm. you know and um those are the mistakes that you make when you're doing your best but you don't know and we didn't we didn't know we didn't see each other we didn't have the right compassion we didn't have the right commitment to partnership and i think ultimately that's another thing that that i've learned is there were periods where you know there are periods where i would leave you at the house crying and go off to see my other lover well why why was i doing that you know that shouldn't that doesn't make you feel the way that you need to feel to feel loved you know and there was points where you know i needed just some space to be with you later on and you were like yep i'm off on this other trip and i'm like okay cool but i that was too much for me too you know so we, we got stuck in this kind of trap that we laid all the bricks and all the foundations and set all the wires ourselves unconsciously before but then we ended up winding up in that in that situation and um it's a lot of lessons there but i think a lot of it comes back to the blistering truth about yourself knowing that what you feel is okay that and then you have to express it without any shame and then have the partnership alliance where you really know that you're going to work together through all of these things and it's that level of commitment that i think if i decide to move forward you know ever again in an open container like i understand the importance of that partnership and i understand that if you want to have because i do want to have a primary partnership like i would know that 
in that primary partnership that all other things all other things were secondary to the importance of that primary partnership mm-hmm. you know and i think that's that's not the only way that it can be done there's other ways that it can be done and i think everybody has to decide what way it can be done but, yeah i mean there's an infinite way of doing yeah. it and i feel like we tried multiple <laughs> of those ways trying to figure out what kind of fit best we did what we i think i think one of the errors in judgment that we made though is we had this default idea that we were going to be primary partners and that that was we had a primary partnership but we didn't do the things to actually in real life like back that up mm-hmm. and like reinforce that idea of primary partnership we just had the expectation of primary partnership but not the practices the agreements the truth the commitment to actually follow through on that so we kept trying to modify and shift but fundamentally it was that we weren't actually living up to that core level you know that core level agreement and then we tried to like remove that core level agreement and move out of the house and then have this kind of dual dual primary system but that was something that i was never going to be comfortable with i just pretended that i could be and thought i would be and but it really wouldn't have ever probably worked for me you know nonetheless but you know hope and wishful thinking and spiritual bypass can can get you get you pretty far along the path of thinking that hey we might be able to do this I think, and I think we did it. Like, I think Mm -hmm. that's where, you know, particularly when it comes to any relationship, when it transition or it ends or the container shifts, however you want to call it. Like, I don't like calling it a breakup because I think we're better now Mm -hmm. than we have been ever in our entire relationship. I don't remember what I was saying. I agree. I mean, I think that's why I think a lot of people get in the a lot of people get in a position where they'll look at a transition or a breakup, if you want to call that in quotes, whatever, whatever the transition nomenclature you want to use, they'll look at that as a failure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, oh, that's yeah, that's what I was saying. <laughs> we, like we failed. Mm-hmm. But we didn't fail. We did the best we could. And we learned a fucking ton. And I wouldn't take back a moment, even the hard stuff. Like the hard stuff revealed to me all of the ways in which I wasn't whole, all of the ways in which I was entangled and all the ways in which I was codependent, all the ways in which I had a limited purview on how I could receive love and what that might look like and my this flippant flexibility and what I thought I could do when really now I understand like, oh, I understand my heart and I understand myself and I understand how this could work i also understand how hard it is i also mm-hmm. understand like both sides of the position so now you know now we would have the chance however whatever relationships unfold to like know ourselves better and to be able to navigate this thing better mm, yeah absolutely i think like something i tell my all my clients and something that was you know very apparent for me is the uncomfortable times that you will experience are really like your guiding stars like those will give you huge answers like there really are opportunities for you to learn and grow and become 
a fuller version of yourself because of the challenge. Now, you don't always have to learn through challenge. You know, you can decide not to. You know, you can decide that learning in in a, it doesn't always have to be hard, I guess, Mm. you know? I feel like my emotions are like making me stupid right now but how many times i can't remember anything that i'm saying i'm just like rambling on (laughs) (laughs) how many times does that happen to everybody though no for sure you know that's inherently what the emotions do i have the microphone i'm supposed to be like putting full sentences together and i'm drunk off of my emotions which is good i mean i want my emotions to be there i think it's fine it's just challenging right now and Everyone gets a front row seat to it. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. The front row seat that I've gotten, let me tell you about the front row seat that I've gotten to see. I've gotten to see you step into your sovereignty. I've gotten to see in your relations to your other relationships. I've gotten to see you own your truth, mm-hmm. own your own your own stance. Like I think you had a, a pattern where you wanted to do the thing or say the thing that would please the person that, you were with yeah even if it wasn't your truth and and like and that's i think because i was a love junkie right i was just trying to get the love so let me shift in some way to in order to get that and now it's just like uh uh-uh. mm-hmm. there is no more of that yeah i mean may- maybe it'll rear its head at some sure. point of course but it's it's I'm stronger and more certain about what I want than ever before. And I'm, I, I th- it's really, really nice to be able to stand strong in that and, and say that and create my reality and my future relationships based on that. And I, you know, that's not selfish either at all. And that's something you hear a lot right is if you are solely focused on yourself and what you want that's selfish and it's not you being focused on yourself and speaking your truth is really the best thing you can do for everyone in your life and we've both failed in that because every time that we would suppress our truth whether we were unaware of it or aware of it then we would harbor some kind of resentment which wouldn't for me come into some kind of exaggeratory emotional you know explosion at the end where i'd be like "Ah, i can't handle it you love him you love everybody more than me you don't love me at all and you're like what are you fucking talking about you know because i would hold this back and then release it and then for you it was you know subtler patterns of perhaps distraction or not looking at things and resentments that you weren't aware of that would drive you towards other like we were all driven by things that we we tried to hold in but weren't really true and that set us up for a lot of challenges. Yeah, I heard something today that was talking about emotions being like a tunnel. You have to walk all the way through the tunnel to get to the light. It's like, and if you don't do that, they will be there. They're not going anywhere. Yeah. And there's lots of ways in an open relationship to distract yourself from the emotions. You got your other people. Yeah. You can just take all those emotions you feel and then you can distract yourself with that other person and the lovemaking and the, and the novelty and the whatever it else it is. There's distraction in general, there's partying, there's not looking at it, there's staying busy, there's workaholism, there's all kinds of ways that you can avoid 
feeling the things to the to the utmost. And something I I definitely want to touch on is, and I want to hear your thoughts on this too, is the fact that us being in an open relationship isn't what ended our relationship. You know, it wasn't because I feel like that's going to be something that a lot of people say, you know, oh, they're in an open relationship. Of course it ended. What else did they expect? When really, I think we we are we've been together seven years. And if we weren't in an open relationship, we probably would have been together. Not even half of that. Not even close. if, you know. Yeah. Um, and so for me, I don't I don't see that as one of the things that. it was challenging but i don't think it caused the transition in our relationship if anything it actually strengthened our relationship it taught us so much and the all right you want to play the movie where we didn't you're a love junkie i'm a validation through sexuality i already know that yeah okay you would have cheated or you would have been a serial monogamist where you would have yeah you know you would have gotten all the love all the love validation you could get from me and you would have had to look for it elsewhere Mm mm-hmm and I would have gotten all the sexual validation and the way that that meant love to me from you, and I would have had to go get that elsewhere. So I would have chosen serial monogamy just because I'm too anxious a person <laughs> to be unfaithful. You would have probably been unfaithful. And like we would have, we would have not only We not would have learned, done basically what society says is okay. Yeah. Society supports breaking up and getting into another relationship because your validation tank has been is is now overflowing mm-hmm. instead of looking at what what is really going on yeah and the funny thing is is once you suck up all the validation tank your validation tank is empty again mm-hmm. you know it's it's the hungry ghost phenomenon you can stuff all the external validation you want in your tank from some person but it'll never be enough you know and you won't be able to get any more to fill it up it's just like that new car that you get in your garage that makes you feel all cool well that new car means nothing to you in two weeks yeah so you have to get a new 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 car and then you have to get a new, new million dollar thing, or you have to get a new, whatever your source of validation comes, once you receive it, you need to set your sights on another source of external validation, unless you break the cycle, unless you break the cycle into freedom. And our open relationship broke our cycles mm-hmm. into freedom. And I'm, I could not be more grateful for that. Me too. And I think, you know, something also just, as we kind of wrap this up a little is obviously almost everyone has gone through a heartbreak or a breakup or a transition. And, you know, I'm getting a lot of messages. Uh, We haven't fully at this point put it out there um, on social or announced it, Uh, but getting a lot of messages from people who are going through a challenging time and transitioning a relationship. So if you, what is your advice to people that are going through this same exact time and challenge that we are? Learn. Know that if you dedicate yourself to learning, not to grasping or clinging to the past or should have or should have not have or or wanting to change something that you can't change, but just say, okay, learn. What can I learn? Where was I codependent? Where was I entangled? Where was I seeking validation? Where where was I not showing up? What was I, how did I co-contribute to this situation? You know, because this isn't, 
oh, I can't believe Whitney didn't believe that I loved her. This is like, how did I show up in a way that, you know, could have allowed Whitney to believe the truth of how I felt? And how could, you can ask the same thing, how could mm -hmm. you have shown up in a way that I would have never doubted how much you love me? You know, and just learn. But don't use that to beat yourself up and judge yourself for anything that happened. Just be like, how much can we learn? And then if you really learn and you really grow, then any relationship, whether it ends or it stays together, if you're learning, you're winning. If you're learning, it's a success. Absolutely. And I don't, there's not a single relationship I've ever had and very few relationships I can see in the macro where I know that two people have learned as much as we learned. So in some ways, this is one of the greatest love stories and greatest successes that I've ever even heard of. And that's beautiful. I love you always, Whit. I love you too. Thank you for the beautiful seven-year chapter we lived. Mm -hmm. Thank you. And whatever our next chapters hold in friendships, alliance, partnership, wherever it goes, I know that'll be beautiful too. It will, no doubt. It's already been beautiful, yeah. even through the transition. It has. And I've gotten the chance already to hear you on your calls where you're working with clients and you're working with people. And all of this new awareness is now because of these things that you've gone through, because of the emotions you've felt, because of this transition. Anyone going through that same thing, like you can feel what they feel. Mm-hmm you know where they're at. And I've seen you already apply that and heard you already apply that to some of the people you've been talking to. And that's beautiful too. That's alchemy. That's taking the painful lessons, dedicating yourself to learning, and then sharing what you learned. And so that no pain is wasted, no suffering is wasted. You know, just like how the Native Americans would treat a buffalo, you know, no part is wasted. No part of anyone's suffering should be wasted because it's all an opportunity to learn and to share. And you're doing such a beautiful job of that. And I'm just so happy for you and happy for everybody that gets to interact with you because mm. your wisdom is just expanding exponentially and along with your heart. And that's beautiful to see, not only for your clients, but for every other lover that you're going to have from here on out. Thank you. Yeah, it's a... Uh... I think, you know, my message really for everyone is just that we're all in this together. And so your pain is being felt by so many others. And we really are here to support in any way possible. And I am dedicated to taking all of the nuggets that, you know, you and I are learning through this process, you know, my personal emotional ups and downs and all arounds that I experience and taking that to help others through this same exact transition as well as open. You know, I still believe full wholeheartedly that open relationships can be absolutely beautiful and full of love. Mm. And I will most likely continue being in them um, as well as maybe I'll have monogamous relationships too. But it's like, I, 
I have so much faith and have just from knowing how much that I've learned and how much love that I've felt in an open container that I, I still am here to support people who are interested in, in going down that path too. And even working with my clients, you know, like how much joy and happiness and and love that they are co-creating and in, in their unconventional relationship with the support of me is just there's probably not a better feeling mm. for me and i hope to be able to do the same for people who are you know going through a transition like this you know yeah. like i got you we're we're in this together we're you know you're together. you can shed we'll shed tears together <laughs> if we need to <laughs> yeah well, should we wrap this up with a whole ponopono? Yeah. Thank you, Wit. Thank you, Hop. I love you. I love you. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Forgive me. Please forgive me. Thanks, everybody. If you guys enjoyed the podcast, please, please, please leave us a review on iTunes because this is what will support the podcast and it'll spread the message for us. And if you leave your Instagram handle with your review, we'll pick one lucky reviewer to win a free copy of my book, Untrue, about female lust. And one other lucky reviewer will win a free coaching session with relationship coach Whitney Miller. Yes. Thanks, guys.